Blessings Church, we are literally on our part five of our sermon series entitled Kintsugi, The Miracle Factor. And just to recap, I just want to go over some of the things we talked about these past several weeks. On week one, we focused on breakdown. And we mentioned that breakdown is something that's not attractive. Nobody likes to go through brokenness. Nobody likes to be broken. But we also mentioned that the only way that the uh, Kintsugi craftsman can do his work is if something is broken. The only way he can do his assignment or his calling is if something is, is broken. And so when we talk about the breakdowns of life, we need to understand that whenever we experience breakdown, it is just an opportunity for God to do his best work in us. But also one of the benefits of being broken is that brokenness will eventually benefit others in their process. Second week, we focus on breakthrough. First week was breakdown. Second week was breakthrough. And we explained a little bit the difference between what a supernatural miracle is versus a providential miracle and we talked about everybody loves supernatural miracles God to do things supernaturally but we believe in a God that does miracles providentially as well we also talked about how Jesus in this in the story of the uh, bread and fish he found a nobody an insignificant child and he made a somebody out of nobody to feed everybody last week we weren't able to finish our sermon, but Wednesday, Pastor Ariel talked about a uh, breakup. He talked a little bit about the importance of valuing leftovers and why leftovers are paramount in the Christian walk. We talked about how Jesus commanded the disciples to take the 12 baskets that were leftovers, which were a reminder of, of Jesus's super power and supernatural power operating in the life of the disciples in a providential circumstance in their lives we also talked about the how, how storms come in the midst of the night how storms inundate us in our worst moments but it's important to remember that in the middle of our storms God gave us 12 baskets which are a testament and proof of God's supernatural power in the midst of our crisis so that's what we talked about these past three weeks. Today, we're going to talk about the third part of the series. First Sunday was breakdown. Second was breakthrough. Today is breakup. And I want to mention this, that there's something we need to understand when it comes to this part of this message today. In order for us to break up from some things, we got to understand that there is a key component to breaking up and becoming what God wants us to be. Let me tell you something, is there something the devil does not want you and I to do is to break up from the things that have you enslaved. If there's something the enemy does not want you to live life is living life in the fullness of the purpose whereby God has called you for, from and for. And so here's what the devil does to keep you from not breaking up from the things of the past. Here's what the enemy does to keep you stuck. He brings in fear. He brings in fear. And let me tell you, church, that wherever there is fear, there is doubt. Wherever there is fear, there is uncertainty. And wherever there is doubt, there is no room for faith. Listen to me, church. Fear can turn a small problem into a big giant. Fear can turn something so small and minuscule into a big giant. Fear can turn a blessing 
into a curse because of your perspective of what you're going through. Fear can literally paralyze you from seeing the things from God's perspective. In the Bible, the Bible says that there was the prophet who had a servant and, and he was surrounded by the armies, the enemy, the army of the enemy. And the servant was afraid and he was afraid and he was afraid. And the prophet prayed to the father. He said, father, would you open his eyes so that he can see that there are more that are for us than more that are against us? Because listen to me, church. Fear can paralyze you from seeing the things from God's perspective. That's why God equips us by his spirit for us to be in control of life situation that tries to instill fear in our hearts. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind or self-control. God in the Bible repeatedly, repeatedly told the people, as a matter of fact, 365 times in the Bible, do you see the phrase, fear not? As if to say God is giving a fear not for every single day of the year. And in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, God tells Joshua this. By the way, Joshua had never, had never fought a fight. For 40 years, they were in the wilderness. For 40 years, God provided everything. For 40 years, water came out of a rock. For 40 years, manna came from heaven. For 40 years, God brought a pillar of cloud to keep them protected from the sun. For 40 years, God brought a pillar of fire to keep them warm in the middle of the night. For 40 years, as they would grow, their shoes would grow, their clothes. God provided for 40 years. And at the culmination of the 40 years, Moses dies. And now Joshua has to lead a people into an unknown territory. Now Joshua has to lead the pe people into a place they've never been to before. And not only do they have to go through a place they've never been to before, now they have to fight some fights they've never fought before. God has always fought for them. He fought for them when Egypt rose against them. He fought for them in the midst of the peril of the wilderness. But now God is telling them, I'm going to give you the land of the Midianites, of the Amalekites, of the Hebusites, of the Hittites, of the Philistines. I'm going to give you all the land. And Joshua had never fought he's afraid but look what God tells Joshua when fear tries to inundate his heart in chapter 1 of Joshua verse 6 through 9 God tells Joshua this and he tells us today be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them again he says be strong and courageous be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always in your lips. Meditate it day and night so that what? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua was afraid, but here is the antidote to fear. The antidote to fear was, he says, I want you to keep the book of the law and always keep it on your lips and meditate it day and night. God told Joshua, when fear comes in your life, 
Here is the antidote to fear. The word of God. The promises of God. What God has declared. And I'm here to tell you today that in the middle of your fury mo fearful moments, in the middle of your moments of despair, you got to go back to the word. And what did God say? And what did God declare? Because it is the word of God that will give you the strength to overcome those moments of fear. Because the Bible says everything will pass. Everything. Fear will pass. Giants will pass. Faith will pass. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word, says the Lord, will not pass away. And so the Lord is challenging us today. In the middle of fear. To remember his word. The Lord is challenging us in the middle of the giants to remember what God spoke to you so that fear will not keep you from breaking, listen to me, from breaking up from those things. Because if you don't allow, if you allow fear to keep you stuck, you'll never break up from those things. So what did God speak to you? What has God told you? What word has God given you? Now I want to talk a little bit about my process and my journey all along my Christian walk where God has spoken to me multiple times. And let me just say this. Being a pastor, the office of a pastor is one of the greatest privileges I have ever have received in my life. I think this is the greatest job in the world to represent God and to work for God. That's the greatest job in the world. It is a privilege for me. To consider myself a servant of the Lord. This is, this is an honor for me to consider myself a bond servant of Christ. It is a privilege for me to be able to do what I do for the glory of the Lord and brothers. But understand that this thing I'm doing today didn't start today. This thing about me and a pastor didn't happen overnight. This didn't just happened four years ago when we started the church five years ago for four four and seven months this didn't happen four years and seven months ago no there was a calling in my life when I was nine years old the calling of the Lord over my life as a child in case you don't know I'm a pastor's son my parents are pastors in New York in the Bronx and since I was nine ten years old I remember going to church and back then we would have services. We'll call them campañas or crusades. And we would invite other churches and preachers would come and the church would get packed. And I remember going to church and on multiple occasions, preachers and prophets and evangelists would come to the church and point me out in the midst of the crowd and tell me in front of the entire church when I was still a kid, you're going to continue the legacy of your father. There's a pastoral mantle over your life. There's a pastoral calling over your life. And you're going to be a pastor. And I was 8, 9, 10 years old. And I remember that me, the feeling I felt in front of the entire church. Receiving that word from the Lord. And then I grew. 12, 13, 15. And then when I got saved, when I got saved in eight, at the age of 18. And I started preaching and teaching. And evangelizing now the church who had heard that word when I was eight nine ten years old now they started to see wait a minute it's coming to life what God spoke about Gabby is coming to life and the church began to embrace it the church began to believe that there was a pastoral calling over my life and not only that but now my father's church had I witnessed the continued prophetic impartation over my life and as a year went by it almost seemed inevitable 
as if to say that I was going to be the successor of my father's church because the church heard God speak to me when I was a kid the church started seeing me now operating in the gift of preaching the church started seeing me operating in the anointing of the Holy Spirit and so now the church was clear that what was spoken of me when I was a kid is coming to pass it was inevitable for the church to see it and when everything looked great when everything was aligned for me to be the successor of my father's church, which by the way, he's still pastoring the church. When everything looked great, the Lord called us out of my father's church. Listen to me. I had everything. Like the boy in the Bible, I had the bread and the fish. I had the anointing, I had the calling, I had my parents' support, I had the church that loved me, everybody believed I was gonna be the next. I had my fish and I had my bread. And all of a sudden, the Lord calls us out of my father's church to become members of a church that did not know me at all. To become members of a church that didn't know my wife, didn't know my family. They didn't know us. We had to give up everything we had to go to a church empty-handed and no one knew us. No one knew who Gabby was. No one knew who Petri was. No one knew us. No one from being a part of a church where my future was secure to not going to a church where I have to start all over again. And I tell you, we were nervous. We were scared. We were afraid. We were uncertain. But I can tell you this. We knew God was calling us to be in that place. Let me tell you, one of the biggest problems we have is that we only interpret God's blessing when we have a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot. The more we have, the more blessed we are. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, God sometimes works different. God wants to give you a nation, but before he gives you a nation, he tells you, give me the Isaac. God wants to give you the entire nation of Israel, but sometimes we're so caught up in our Isaacs that we can't see that the, what we let go is positioning ourselves to embrace bigger, greater, and stronger things. And I, I be honest with you I'll be honest with you we were uncertain but we were clear this is what God wants us and now from being the pastor's son from being the Sunday school teacher from being an evangelist from being the musician from being known by everybody the moment of exchange came where I had to exchange everything I had and so I met with my pastor and we had a conversation and I came to tell him, listen, this is who I am. I'm, I, I'm an evangelist. And he asked me, Gabby, so what do you see yourself? And I said, well, I believe there's a, there's a pastoral calling over my life. And I told him the whole thing when I was a kid, God called me and this, that, and the third. And I remember he told me, well, Gabby, here's the deal. If you want to be a pastor, you need to surrender your briefcase of an evangelist. Now, bear in mind. It wasn't to give up a literal briefcase is what the briefcase represented. He was telling me, if you believe there's a calling over your life, are you willing to let go of this? The evangelist ministry, the going all over the place and traveling everywhere and not having foundation. If you want to be a pastor, you got to smell like sheep. And if you want to smell like sheep, you got to stop traveling and be a member of a church. Was I willing to let go my fish and bread? 
for nothing. And here was the exchange. He said, let go the briefcase. And we let it, I let it go. And my, let me tell you, my first and only position that was given to me officially in the church. He said, Gabby, I got a, I got a position for you. And you know what he did? He made me the church bus driver of the church. He gave me the keys of a van. And he said, I got a position for you. Are you willing to take the challenge? I said, yes, I'll take it. And let me tell you, I became the official church bus driver. And the route I had was the route of the elderly folk. And so I had to park the car, double park, and my wife in the car with my three kids in the backseat. They were all uh, one, two, and three years old. And, and they were there, and I had to go up the stairs sometimes and pick up some of the elderly. And I had to pick up people and bring them in the church van. And while I was doing that, it looked like I lost. While I was doing that, it looked like I made the wrong exchange. While I was doing that, it didn't make sense. Why would I leave my father's church where I was guaranteed a pastorship. Why did I leave my father's church where I had the exposure? Why did I leave my pastor's church where I had the influence to be now in a bus in the middle of a road, double park, picking up an elderly and bringing her down the stairs to go to church? Why go through that process? I'm here to tell you today, I thank God for the exchange of the briefcase for the church van. This was my do not fear moment because I tell you, I if I'd have been somebody else, uh, no, no, I'm not letting go all of this for that I'm going back to my church with my dad where I got it all together me drive a church devil is a liar but the same thing happens when you do the when you understand that you what you have and what I have is not mine that I am a steward of whatever God puts in my hands then I understand that when he asked me for something it wasn't really mine when he says give it back it would never belong to me so as long as I'm faithful with what he played that's why church listen I'm here to tell you today I don't know what the Lord is asking from you and perhaps fear is telling you no perhaps fear is saying I'm not giving it up but if you don't give it up you will not have it all says the Lord listen to me for eight years we were in this church we had no time. I was not a youth pastor. I was not an associate pastor. I wasn't a deacon. I wasn't an elder. I wasn't a, a part of the trustee committee for eight years. You know what I did? Translate for my pastor. Buy him orange juices. Shovel the snow sometime from time to time. Do whatever he need me to do. When I had everything in my church, in my father's church, I let it go. Not knowing that God was using that. And then, close to the eighth year, God began to work again with me in public. And he began to expose me to the church. And now, the same thing that happened when I was a kid started happening in this church. Thessalonica, my pastor David Serrano in the Bronx. You know what happened? Now pastors will come and preachers will come and they'll start prophesizing a word over my life. And there's a pastoral calling over you. And get ready for full time. And I'll never forget that one of the last people that God used to prophesy into my life was my own pastor. He was preaching and I was translating. And while we're translating, he stops the message and he says, Gabby, get ready because your time has come for full-time ministry. And the entire church fell in the spirit. Why? Because they saw the faithfulness. They saw the commitment. They saw the, the consistency. And when God gave me this word in front of the church, the entire church embraced it as if to say, yes, Gabby's ready. Listen to me. You don't need a title to be defined by God. Many people are waiting to get the title to do the work. I want to encourage you. 
Don't be afraid that you don't have a title. David didn't have a title of a soldier to kill Goliath. He just knew he was called and he did not have any fear. That's why he says in Psalms 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow and of death, I will fear no evil. When you have no fear, you can fight every giant. When you have no fear, you can walk in confidence. Listen to me, church. And God started to speak in public to the point that we literally got ready. Okay, we're going to be full time. It's going to happen sometime soon. I literally resigned my job to get ready for the position. And, you know, things happen and it didn't work out and we didn't get the job yet. And everything was on pause, but we knew the time was coming. We knew the time was coming. We knew the time was coming. Listen to me, church. We knew the time was coming. It didn't come when we wanted, but it knew it was, we, I knew it was coming. And we on it. I'll be honest with you. My wife and I, we honestly thought that where we were going to be full-time serving was at our former church in the Bronx, Thessalonica Church. And my pastor, who I love to death, Pastor Serrano. But let me tell you this, that was our plan. Those were our ideas, but God had other plans. And in 2001, we transitioned from the Bronx to Orlando. From 2001, we left. As a matter of fact, it was on October 4, 2001 to be exact. I remember God had called us to come to Orlando to serve in one of the churches in the city. And my job assignment wasn't to be a lead pastor. Now, bear in mind, I was called from age 9, 10, 11 to be a pastor. But my assignment was to be the youth pastor of a church in the city, which was one of the greatest experiences I had in my life. And I'll never forget that we, when we moved to Florida, OMG, it was what we call in my book. And if you don't have my book, you got to buy my book. It, it was what we called the wonder years. The things that we did those first six, seven years in that, in that youth ministry was amazing. How we grew from 68 to over 500 people. How God started using the young people to touch our community. And every Wednesday, we would have gangbangers and, and, and drug dealers come to the church trained by the power of the Holy Spirit. The things we did, the activities we did, the impact we had in our city. Oh my God, it was amazing. And while we were at the cusp of all that, then the Lord put in our hearts in 2007. He put in my heart and in my wife's heart the passion to start a church. To begin fulfilling God's purpose and calling over our lives in the pastorate, which was the word God gave us when I was 9, 10, and 11 years old. And now we felt in our spirit, there's a church inside of us. There's a baby we have to birth. And in 2007, to God be the glory, we began this church. Let me tell you, church planting for me was one of the most fulfilling experiences ever in 2007. Seeing people grow. Reaching the homeless, feeding the hurting, the poor. There was one day, we, we actually adapted a community. And by the way, this community was going to be dismantled and destroyed. And the church came in and we started beautifying the city. The community. We started beautifying the community. And they said, we're going to knock this down because this is horrible. It's next to I drive. It's killing the image of International Drive. We're just going to do away with it. And we asked them, give us three months. And for three months, we were in that neighborhood for, for every Saturday for three months. And we beautified. You know what happened? To God be all the glory. 
they acknowledged new birth for the work that we did and they gave us a certificate and they honored us and the community got together and they blessed us because we helped save the community up until today we i drove by last week and you know what the community is still oh those were the best days that we will see god do mighty things the hurting the broken the marginalized the indigent the disenfranchised coming to the foot of jesus and the church started growing and it started growing this 2007 two years later 2009 we planned our first door to church in bronx new york and my god it was amazing to see a church that was in our hearts two years later launch out and touch the city to the glory of god two years after that 2011 we launched another church in saint cloud florida one of my associate pastors pastor carlos Zulang, we launched them out and the church was thriving in 2007 we planted our church two years later we planted a church in the Bronx. Two years later, we planted a church in St. Cloud, and everything was going well. And we were excited. My fish and my bread were in my hands, and it was growing, and we were happy, and we were excited, and we were delightful, and God once again said, I want your lunch. And I'm like, wait a minute, but that's not my will. That's not what I want. It's what many would have said. But let me tell you, just like he did me he did in the story with this boy he had his bread and he had his fish this young boy he owned his meal it was his meal the boy had everything he needed to be fulfilled the boy wasn't hungry he was satisfied the multitudes were hungry everybody was starving everybody was hungry but not this kid this kid had it going on he had everything he needed to be satisfied and all of a sudden while he's enjoying everything he has God tells him I want your lunch and he takes his lunch I ask you church are you willing to give up your lunch because it's easy to give something that doesn't work it's easy to give something that's not functional. It's easy to leave a, leave a ministry that is not prosperous. It's easy to leave, it, to leave a thing that is not producing. But are you willing to let go your lunch? In 2013, just like the Lord asked the boy for his lunch, the Lord asked me the same request. He asked me to give up that which dear to me. And I'll be honest. It was hard to obey. It was hard to say yes. It was hard to see something that was in your heart that was prophesied when you was a boy come to fruition and see in six years, three churches grow and blossom and now God is saying, give it up. It was hard to obey. However, my wife and I knew that what we had was never ours to begin with. As much as it hurt, as much as it was hard, as much as it would have caused pain and sorrows and tears, and boy, did we cry. But we knew that what we had was never ours because had he not called us, I would have never been where I've been. Had he not called me, I would have never had what I had. And I'm going to tell you, church, and I'm here to tell you, ministers, and I'm going to tell you, family, what you have is just God's favor upon your life. Don't marry the things God gives you. Stay in love with the God that gives things. Let me ask you a question what are you holding on to that God is asking you to let go what are you holding on to is it a relationship is it a friendship 
that God is saying, give me that, give me that. No, 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 but we BFFs, we go way back. God is saying, are you willing to let it go? Is it a career that stumbles in the way of God's plan for your life? God, when I get my PhD, when I graduate, then. And God is saying, no, give it to me now. Give it to me now. As children of God, church, we must understand that who we are and what we have belongs to God. And when you understand that, then surrendering is not a problem. Because I'm here to tell you this, church. In order to get more from God, you have to be willing to let go. If you want more, if you want more, you have to let go. And, and God will never tell you, give me because I'm going to multiply. He'll never do that. God didn't tell the boy, give me the fish and bread. and Don't worry, give me about three hours and you're going to have 12 baskets full. No, God simply told him, give it up. But the problem with us is we want God to give us three definitions of why we, reasons why we should give it up. He want you, we want to calculate and make sure it makes sense. I'm here to tell you, man, give up that thing. Because if you want more, you must let it go. There are times we ask God to give us more. But we're not really ready to let go. But letting go is paramount for you to receive. Because here's the deal about letting go. When you let go, you free your hands. And as soon as you free your hands from what you have, you now become a candidate to receive the new thing God has for you to receive. But if you're not letting go of those things, suppose I have five bags of groceries in one hand and five bags of groceries on the in the other hand and they're all full of expired canned goods and there are five bags and I got food but it's expired and all of a sudden they're giving out free food but I don't want to let go what's expired for something that is new and many people spiritually and metaphorically are living life like that you're holding on to things that God is saying let that go I got something better I got something stronger I got something more creative I got something more influential and I'm going to let you know if you want all that God has for you you've got to be willing to let it go free your hands you can become a candidate of what God has for you to receive and believe me believe me what God has in store for you will always be better than what you have to give up what God is going to give you in return will be better than what you're actually surrendering but here's the deal about giving up letting go comes with abandonment letting go it's gonna fight it's gonna it's gonna work with your pride letting go it's gonna work with your personal ideas and agenda and plans letting go listen to me will come with surrender and what will I have to surrender you and I we will have to surrender our will to God's will letting go comes with commitment that says even if you don't bless me another day God I'm still gonna stay even if you don't make another provision I'm gonna be faithful even if you don't open another door and I let it all go I'm gonna be committed to the God who gave me what I had because what I had I had because of who you were in my life send me church commitment when everything inside of you says quit, you say, I'm still going to do what you ask of me. When everything inside of you says no, you're going to say, I'm going to give it up. Listen to me, church. Letting go comes with a deep-rooted faith 
in God's ability to transform whatever it is you are letting go. Turning it into something richer, into something better, into something more glorious to the honor of his name. Listen to me, church. I'm almost done. 2013, my wife and I, we let it go. We let go our church, the Bronx Church, St. Cloud Church. We let it go. We stood empty-handed, empty-handed. And in 2015, the Lord gave us a new beginning. And it was 38 people in my living room when God says, start all over again. And with 38 people, four years, seven months, God took us through a journey of six years to grow three churches. In a time span of three years, God gave us five churches and we helped plant one church in Texas. What I'm saying? From three churches in six years to five churches in three years. Now, what would have happened had I said, I'm not letting go of this. I'm going to hold on to this. But when you let go of some things, you make yourself available for God to do greater things in your life. And so today, to God be all the glory. To see over 1,300 people we touch every week as a church. 1,300 people every week, not counting Venezuela. 1,300 people in three years simply because we decided to let it go and not let fear. We had to break up with some things. We had to let go of some things. We had to do away with some places. We had to let go of some relationships. We had to break up from some stuff. And stay empty-handed, trusting that if it was him that called us, he was going to make a way. So church, let me encourage you to rid yourself of the fear of letting go. Rid yourself from that fear. And like the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter number 4 verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Because if you do, you can't operate in fear when it comes to God. Because if you love him, whatever he asks from you, you should not process that through the filter of fear. You should process that through the filter of faith and love. And he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So what fish and what bread are you afraid to let go? There's no reason why. I don't know, I don't, I don't know if, if a grown man in the time of the Bible would have had the strength to let it go. I don't know. But I know a kid did it, which is no coincidence why the Bible says that in order to go to the kingdom of heaven, you must be like a child. 
Because children trust parents. Children trust adults. So when it comes to this thing of surrendering, you have to operate as a child of God and not a proprietor of what you have. Because what you have and what we have, we have because of God our Father has provided for us. So here's what God wants to do. He wants to glorify his name in your life and give you a better understanding of his will for your life. He wants to get the glory out of your circumstance when you learn to cherish the blessing in letting go, in giving up. This young boy gave up his lunch. And today we're preaching about this young boy over 2,000 years later who gave up a lunch. A lunch. And today we're talking about his lunch. What could God do? With that thing, you are willing to place in his hands. But the first thing you need to do, friend, the first thing God is asking you to place in his hands is your heart, your life. To surrender yourself to God. To make yourself available for God to take your life like the Kintsugi craftsman. Take your broken heart, broken in pieces, and he's going to take your heart and he's going to make you new. So if today you want to give Jesus what you have left in your hands, here's what I need you to do. Would you repeat this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are God and you have a plan for my life. And I receive Jesus as my God, as my Lord, and as my King. Forgive me for all of my sins. Wash me with your precious blood and write my name in the book of life and seal me with your Holy Spirit. Say with me, Jesus, I believe you died for me so that I can live for you. So today I make the exchange. I give you my life and I receive your plan for me. In Jesus' name, amen.